Welcome to In The Spotlight. This is a podcast brought to you by the Guild of HR Professionals in association with Lace Partners. latest episode of the HR Guild of HR Professionals Spotlight Series. This is Series 2 of our recordings. If you remember, we are talking to thought leaders from the market and understanding their views on HR and current trends, what makes it passionate about their, what they do for a living and sharing that with us and the rest of the Guild. I'm also joined, as always, by my co-host, Annette. Welcome. Hello. Should I call you Carrots now? No, that's just unfair. Um, and you're never going to forgive me for that, are you? Or let me forget that I shared that. No, good to see you. I am loving doing these every week and finding new people to come and speak to us. It's really exciting each week to talk about a different topic. And we've had some great topics so far. And for those of you who don't take, get the carrots reference, you'll have to listen to the previous podcasts to get hold of that, just as a little teaser. We are joined this evening by Hanny Nabil, who will talk, uh, who will introduce in a second. And we're going to start off the introductions with him asking the question we always ask at the start of these podcasts, which is to let him share with us one of his nicknames from the past, just to get us a better insight into Hanny. I'm warning him now in advance just so he can prepare his answer. We got underway. Evening, Hanny. How are you? Good evening. I'm fine. Thank you. And appreciate the opportunity. So I'll pick up and say, Hanny, thank you so much for joining us this evening. I've known you for a while. And I have to say, I have absolute jealousy over your job title I think it is probably the coolest job title in the profession but rather than me try and introduce you and give you an insight into everybody an insight into what you do I'd love it if you could share it because your passion for what you do just shines through when you talk about it thank you Annette appreciate uh, appreciate that opportunity my title I'm chief behavioral scientist at iSciTech yes it might sound quite exciting but I like it because it's quite descriptive it really is what I do which is help organizations measure the immeasurable around behavior and culture and basically what I do at iSciTech is uh, not just look after all the research that we've done over many many years but also bring it to life make it apply to help organizations, as I said, uh, measure, track and develop, uh, sadly, what uh, has been a villain for far too long, which is culture. We really want to make culture work for organizations again, aka let's make it the hero. And really by doing that, uh, hopefully uh, we can not just improve how uh, employees find their way and live their lives within their working life within organizations, but also improve organizations, brand value, the way and the offerings that they provide customers, which sadly has, without me telling you, I'm sure you know, has gone wrong many, many, many times. So really, that's what I do. Make it real, make the science real, make it work for organizations uh, so that it can deliver some sort of measurement through people analytics, which sadly have been missing as well. So, Hani, the three of us has something in common, which was we absolutely believe that data is key. We absolutely believe that analysis of that data is key. But also, we know that having that data brings the issues alive for a business because businesses use used to working with data and analyzing data, looking at the ROI, etc. And this is a brilliant way of bringing people aspects to life for a business that doesn't necessarily think or believe that these are 
topics that can be measured. Very true. I'm just thinking about how on earth did you get to be a chief behavioural scientist on these hot topics? The uh, oddity is I was never, from an education point of view, born to the world of behaviour science or psychology at all. I started life in, well, actually early on in physics, then converted to engineering and ended up flying as a learner pilot for many years. Nothing to do, uh, as you might imagine, with, well, it's a lot to do with data, but certainly not behaviour mm. science. For 10 years, as I flew around the world and been drummed heavily at about leadership and human performance in the flight deck. And I took it very seriously and I was trying to live it. I'm not sure many other pilots thought it was important. Some did, I'll be honest. It's like typically other organizations, it's something I must uh, listen to, but not perform. But human performance got drilled into me so much. And in fact, as I did take take my command and became a rank of captain and I enjoyed flying for a while, decided to go and answer that burning desire to how does really from a human perspective, uh, how can it affect outcomes in many shapes and forms? So I did leave the flight deck back to university for occupational psychology masters. It was quantitative and behavior focused and also another masters, uh, which was advanced research methods, which really was a lot of quantitative stuff, a lot of mathematics in it. And I had the great luck of being uh, working with another two psychologists. If you want uh, another name for me, I'm afraid I was called Psych 3, literally Psych 3 for a long time while I was on that project. I was Psych 3 to help uh, Airbus to think about its aircraft cockpit design to work on behavior, believe it or not. So we got into some really heavy lift research to understand how the environment can actually work for or against a crew as they were dealing with uh, issues and as they were running this ultimate high-tech office. And believe it or not, which is like typically like organizations, we don't often design systems and environments to think about human behavior. Yet it's human beings that run it. Isn't that weird? And even organizations, we design them and we don't think about people. So I've done a lot of research. I did come across a lot of, while we were doing the research, a lot of how behaviors from an ethnography point of view actually do play out significantly on outcome. Obviously, no one was probably quite interested about us talking about this being an engineering firm, or I guess Mm -hmm. that they wanted to worry about cockpit design. But that was the beginnings of me to go off and then had another burning itch to to really answer to, which was... uh, Right. If we know in the flight deck where skill and knowledge is is somewhat uh, clinical, what I mean by this is if you rock up to a flight, you have a very safe assumption that all flight crew, apart from wearing big hats, can actually fly the aircraft, have got the skill and got the knowledge of what the buttons do. You are left with how are they they likely to conduct themselves, so behavior. So we know behavior mattered in this environment. Does it matter in organizations? And that's what really drove me to go and do more research. Little did I know it was going to be the largest ever done. And it turned out to be, it took seven years, certainly costed me losing all my hair and uh, wear endless increased amount of glasses to look at all the data, of course. <laughs> but it was seven years, all told, five studies, over 51,000 participants across 60 diverse organizations within 61 countries to really try and articulate, can we really measure culture the right way, i.e., Many psychologists have told us, whether it be at the Seligman or, or if you think back even to Edgar Schein, if you love your psychology, it's really culture is about being about behavior. It gets enacted. It gets behaved every single day. Could we measure that? Could we capture that? Is there something we're missing uh, from a diagnostic point of view? And can we take uh, diagnostic into the world of analytics, big data to, as you quite uh, well put, and uh, can we make a story out of it? 
and hence uh, how CultureScope was born. It took seven years for its birth and how organizationally uh, we were born to answer that uh, very topic of can we have a valid and scientific way of measuring behaviors and can we correlate it and uh, really compare it to lots and lots and lots of outcomes in organizations to understand how it happens, what happens first of all and how it happens. Because as uh, I'm sure you'd agree, if we don't measure it, we can't fix it. Really simple. Yeah, no, I agree. And Hannah, you and I worked briefly together. And what I would say to you, your attention to detail, which I now understand if you were captaining a, uh, an aeroplane, was fantastic. But also I, what I found amazing was putting the psychology and the analytics together was the extrapolation of that data. And what yeah. it could tell you was just fascinating. Could you share with us, maybe it's up to you whether you share clients' names or not, but some of the ways in which you've used that analysis and psychology with clients and the way it's helped them and their business with their culture and behavior? Yeah. So luckily, some, some clients are very public about our work with them. So I can mention some, some names because it's always good to bring it to life. And again, I'm ever grateful to have the chance to work with all of them. They've all been great at recognizing the need. But let's just think about some of the biggest issues we came to industry with. And if you think it's part of the financial services industry, I won't leave it there. I know there are, there are many industries at, at issue here. We've had some big issues around fraud and, and financial crime, which, which was even internally driven or, let's say, collaborated uh, from internal sources. So how can we use culture and behavior being the first line defense of financial crime so we can really stamp it out? And organizations like HSBC have been very brave where they said, look, uh, we've tried everything else. You know, we just keep throwing more regulations and more processes at the problem. It doesn't help us. And you're quite right. You need to fix the issue at hand, which is culture and behavior. And they did launch a huge project um, early on in or late, actually, in 2016, where it really was around, let's really understand it globally. Let's go to 71 countries, 330,000 employees then, and really understand how behavior is working for us or against us from a financial crime point of view. So it's akin to culture and conduct. And we found great things. So mm -hmm. we were able to articulate cultures and subcultures, which behaviors work for you and against you. We have, we, through predictive analytics, we can start saying which behaviors you really need to focus on that will get you uh, somewhere great. You're actually going to stamp it out. You know, predictive analytics is a great way of looking forward to culture. I know we're always used to saying, let's look at culture with a rear view mirror. What has it been doing to us? But to actually turn it and say, what is it likely to do to you going forward? So you really get to know, you, you know, this return on investment. I do, I do this. What am I going to get back for it? It's a valid question to ask. So the fact that we could do that and then they could then run interventions and monitor over several months after that, the behavior change and the outcome change has been incredible. And mm -hmm. with the same debt of data that we produced around behaviors, you know, it's your people and organization that makes things happen with their behavior. So they can drive risk or minimize risk, they run innovation or drive innovation or minimize you know, or do great for customer service or, or terrible things for customer service if you like. So the fact that we had mm -hmm. all this data and now you can put a thematic view on it, whether it be it from a risk, from customer satisfaction or from driving well-being, driving inclusion, all those topics are, are, are an flows to your heart. We were able to bring to life through one measurement point all aspects uh, that they can focus on. And guess what? 
behavior underlines uh, underlying behaviors are driving so many outcomes that you could shortlist of which behaviors we really need to work on. What is the roadmap for change that is driven by data? So we know where we're ending up. It's not a surprise. It's not luck. Culture is not luck. So suddenly we've gone from, well, we've got a financial plan. We've got a talent plan. We never do a culture plan. Guess what? We do have a culture plan and it is steeped in science. It's building metrics. And we know how to deal with it. And, and to their credit, they could then program particular interventions around the world to really drive financial primer, and they did. Likewise, many other organizations, and I can name not a lot what we do, but certainly uh, uh, I've had the great luck of working now for several years with uh, Lloyd's Banking Group, mm -hmm. who have really understood behavior experiments. They were brave enough to run their own work, their own behavior experiments. They've got a number of certified people who use the tool now themselves. They don't need our help only a little bit, but straight out of the box, it can tell them exactly what's going on through even predictive analytics. and then be able to understand how they are deploying behavior experiments that work to really drive change, drive transformation, digital innovation, you name it. And then once you know that, how do you empower behavior change champions so that you can take it to the next level up? You know, worked at country level with you know, UN, UNDP, United Nations Development Program. We work with them across one country with, I believe now, 96 ministries to understand how you really drive culture change at government level, if you really are going to live your pillars and vision and drive value at country level. I mean, it's been incredible, some of the work that we've been doing uh, around the world. But again, to go back to your point is this is what data can do for you. This is what it can deliver. And, you know, it's odd that for years we looked at outcomes of culture, which are lagging mm -hmm. indicators. We forgot the leading indicators, the input which is quite simple. It's us, the people. How do we behave? We're literally living mm -hmm. every day. I had no way of measuring this. Uh, so it kind of was left to chance, you know? And uh, as you know, in today's world, we are so detailed about everything, you know, financial plan, a talent plan, operational plan, disaster recovery plan, you name it. We just had no plan for culture. And I'm trying to introduce some key words now. Use data analytics to design culture, you know, culture by design. Culture should not be luck. You should be brave enough to design, say, mm. you know, the, the, the organization around the ultimate culture you want to see, the behaviors you want to see. And what do I get back for designing this great culture? And, and Hani, of course, being Aaron and I will immediately go, oh, then you can hire against those behaviors. You can develop those. You can reward mm. them. You can continue to assess progress. And, and manage it through. So actually you can keep measuring at each step of the process and at different points and at different levels, which I just love. Yeah. And I know Aaron, yeah. I see that he's like, oh, what yeah. can we do this? What could we do that? Exactly, exactly. My, my brain's on fire already, I have to say, Hannah. It's, it's amazing to listen to Brilliant. someone talk about actually putting a tangible measure to something that people have talked about intangibly for so long. And I think that's yeah. just fantastic because I'm a great believer that it's the little nudges, it's the individual behaviors that bring together the reality of a culture and, and how those build up. And sure. you know, I always find there's a big difference, and you probably you see this all the time, I'm sure, between the espoused culture an organization has and the reality of the behaviors on the ground. And I, and I, I guess just even just using analytics and data to show where those differences are is powerful enough in its own right. Extremely so. Some uh, important uh, health warning here around big data 
it's very easy to try and say, oh, let's benchmark ourselves on our neighbors and the mm -hmm. industry. And I always say with culture, be careful. It is very unique to every organization. I mean, it is really, you know, yeah. in, in, a, in a busy world of you know, so many organizations in, in the same sector and same industry. You really are your own benchmark. You know, culture should be a unique point. That, that is all about your brand and who you are. It runs through your DNA. It drives your purpose. You live your purpose, your culture. So don't just be blase about it. Say, oh, well, let's just see how we are. Where are we on that culture centile, you know, versus uh, our competitors? It doesn't work like this. You've got to spend time to do your own research, understand your behaviors, your culture, your outcomes, your environments that actually, as you said, not your, your you know, behaviors in a certain way or drives people to behave in a certain way. Get to know what your behaviors do to your outcomes. There is no replacement to that. And don't just hit it blase. Oh, well, this is an industry standard. And I love the way you say live your culture. Absolutely. You know, I do believe in a value driven approach to driving culture. But these values aren't just fashionable words that should be in reception. We should be able to measure how do we live those words? Do we actually do what we say we do? And if we can't measure those, what is the point of having them? And if I can go further from an analytics point of view, what about if, if individuals, me, you, actually live those values? Do we do great things and do we, do we manage risk? Because that's the ultimate yeah. test that we've got to deploy here. And I think the, I was just thinking about your financial services example, Hani, because, and I think about my clients there and the things that I've seen over the years, the answer to things like risk, financial risk and fraud, et cetera, was simply to put out mandated training. And to assume yeah. that mandatory training would in some way move the behaviors of the organization rather than investigate the behaviors that are driving the, the, the challenges and the yeah. risk and addressing those head on. And I, and I guess that's part of what you're seeing with, with the data. Yeah. Do you think what you, what you uncover with your data and your analytics and the culture then does lead to changes to the rest of the kind of way that HR engages, learning is driven in an organization? It depends really how or what HR, let's say, decides to do with it and the how they deal with it. There's two, two issues here. I think number one, you talked about training and development, and I let, let's approach that topic first, if we may, since you, you know, you've mentioned that already. Uh, what with uh, our approach for measuring culture, which has two really, is one, how do I behave? And number two, which is a different diagnostic, what happens around me? So we've got to understand, are we having issues because of how people enact the culture or is the environment the issue? What I mean about the environment is sadly design organizations. So think about organizational design, reward systems, policies, procedures that are not driving the right behaviors we want to see. Actually, those work against us. Believe it or not, physical office design, even not just behaviors for that matter, we've discovered. So before you deploy training program for the sake of text box exercise, you know, yeah, we've done the training. Excellent. Let us really think also, if it's the environment, and we can shine a light on that through our analytics, is what is it in the environment we need to fix and change that really uh, has a desired effect? Because it's not always just the people. And I really guard against thinking, well, let's just deploy training or, you know, cliches, you've seen them or get rid of people or fire, fire some people or, you know, that we, we, we've seen all sorts. And then we're environment. Hang on. Is there something really in the environment that, that is causative to all of this? And, and that's where the role of HR is critical now is, can we really understand what this data is telling us? Can we make the story out of it? Do we even know, is it the place or people or where it might be happening? 
and in cracking that culture code, as I call it sometimes, if we really get to understand this, you can start also thinking about, uh, is there any way in our world where the desired behaviors are present and we get the desired outcomes? Can we learn from that? It's not a mystery. If we've got it today here in the organization, let's learn from it, harness it, and then talk about how we can actually uh, you know, positively infect out of you know what happens there to other parts of the organisation. So, if, if you use big data uh, uh, to you know good diagnostics, good analytics to understand what's going on, that's now what you got to do with it. Learn from it. Don't assume you know we can easily borrow from other organisations what some interventional good program was. Uh, no, no, things might be happening within your organisation. Can learn from. And really, the whole point is, then I normally say, look, create culture champions out of that. If you know somewhere something great happens, learn from it, but also make them be the champions, empower them, say, look, something great happens here, let's celebrate it. What can you teach the rest of the organization? So the role of HR becomes, if you like, for me, is, is one we've got to. To, uh, we've got to have a culture plan. You can't rock up the boardrooms anymore and say, uh, we think it's this. I, I think, you know, we just we just tried that and it didn't work, sadly. You just got to look at the news and it's conveyor that was failures, unfortunately. So we've got to deploy behavior analytics and analytics to tell a story. And then we've got to really understand why the story is happening. Right? Is it the furniture or is it the organizational design? Is it reward systems? Is it what is it? And then once we understand that, now we have the evidence saying change those things through predictive analytics, which is what we love showing. Wow, look at what we do. You rock up the wardrobe and say, these are the issues, we know them. By the way, if we change these, you know, the, the, the issues here, this is what we're going to get back for it. You've got far more buy-in from senior leaders. You know, nobody rocks up to work, you know, most senior leaders want to really positively impact the work environment, but they just didn't have the tools. And imagine if you provide that, provide the answer, and you know what you need to change. The role of HR is then really mapping that out and understanding how we're going to do it and what we're going to do about it. But it's got to be precise. You know, the hearsay ditch-stick approach, we're unsure. You know, it, it's just... I just believe that we tried that for too long. It just doesn't help us. And, and I just I deal with a lot of people work all the time as, as we all do. And the one thing that's certain when you deal with people is there is not not one solution to fix all the challenges related to people and culture. Right, so it's, there is I think I'm sure your analytics and data are showing that as you look at culture, depending on not just the environment, but also the demographic, the, um, the um, educational and social environments in which people are working or have grown up also influence on that cultural element as well. So there's multiple solutions, I'm assuming, to fixing and, and aligning yeah. health. It's not one yeah. size, it's multiple interventions. That's why we tend to uh, try through the science also draw what I call a, a roadmap to change. So. A roadmap to change means you can't invest in all the outcomes you want at the same time. I want to improve well-being, I want to improve performance, I want to improve speak-up culture, I want to improve innovation. With a roadmap, we, uh, in technical terms, call that path analysis, but actually we can tell you, well, look, actually your biggest impact is to go and just work on one thing, right? Maybe you got to work on a speak-up culture. And if you do that or improving psychological safety, there's other behaviors you need to focus on. It's the place and it's those and it's the people. Once you fix that, only when you do that, that will impact the following three other outcomes. But actually, you need to add some more behavior change 
to really drive those other three outcomes. So suddenly you're moving with a road rather than investing at the same time, which is unrealistic. Come on. I mean, certainly not the HRSP, and I'm sure she would have been faced a challenge. When you try and hit too much, you, you kind of ultimately sadly fail, and you've got to have a clear plan of what you're going to hit first and how well are you going to monitor that before you move to the next steps. So through data analytics and, again, the behavior diagnosis to be able to offer, not just say, here's the predictive, here's where you go, but even say, here's the path to, to greatness, really simplifies it quite a lot. And, and all of this is available today. It's that my battle with, with some HR community is uh, when I talk, they, they think I'm talking about Star Wars, you know, something like, <laughs> wow, okay, yeah, this is, this is no, us, we can't do this. It, it's available to you. You don't have to think. You just have to deploy the right tools, and it can help show you all of this. So knowledge, I, I feel with HR, and, and hence why I'm loving the opportunity to talk today, there's still a gap. There's still a skill, a skill gap even, but the knowledge gap, that stuff is out there. And, and you've just got to bring it to life. You know, you, you've got to take positive action. You know, you're working in the role of HR, whatever you do within HR. You know, you, you have got really the, the dearest uh, asset an organization has is its people, right? But, you know, if, if, if you can't have big data analytics and really help the organization understand its people and what works and what doesn't work and how to drive desired outcomes and how do we live sustainable culture even. Wow, I mean, if, if, if HR can't deliver all of that, I would almost argue what value are we getting, you know, from HR perspective. Couldn't, couldn't agree more, could not agree more. I, I, I have a, a bit of a technical question. It's not really so as much of a technical question, that makes it sound too better, better than it is. Um, but no, you, t you talk about big data a lot. So I can imagine there might be some HR directors listening in on the podcast thinking, are we big enough as an organization to have big data to allow us to do this type of analysis? What kind of, what kind of size does this work for, Hani? You, your model, does it uh, work for all organizations or over a certain scale? Organizational culture is, uh, is not just for large organizations. It is for many. Of course, you know, you're looking at SMEs, you know, small to medium, have their own culture. You can imagine what that means. Sometimes we kind of have it pre-prescribed in our head what it means. So you can't really look, uh, look after culture only if you're a large organization. If you're a medium-sized organization and a couple of hundred, 300 people, uh, and I have worked with organizations who are 300, 400 people or even for 30, who, who've paid, you know, great tribute. It's interesting. Um, two organizations I've worked with, one of them, Dashboard, which was a, a utilities monitoring um, organization. Right from the get-go, from 30 people, there were really, the CEO was all about fire, about culture. And they were measuring it from early on. And he even understood that growth is the enemy for culture. It's like, I have a great culture here. If I grow it the wrong way, it will work against. So it's funny, even growth, you know, culture is driving growth. I've had the great luck of working, and again, I can be public about this because they talked about us in a, in a podcast with Deutsche Bank, who actually had a startup, a fintech startup, to drive innovation within Deutsche Bank uh, called Breaking Waves. And I've worked with, with them from early on. Literally, Breaking Wave is their own brand. It's, it's the fintech part within Deutsche Bank. It's totally owned by Deutsche Bank. But it's incredible how much the CEO, uh, a, a people officer, they were, we want to have culture by design. We want to literally build the right culture. It's not the right product. That will come. It's about having the right culture. 
and and literally from zero to where you know to where they're heading now it was all from early on they've built their own values the behaviors that drive the values how they're going to live those so i'm telling you of small organizations here who who are you know at infancy and from early on used analytics to really build build on their culture yes it's quite easy when you're small but it becomes much more complex when you're a lot larger so it's not that culture only matters if you're a huge organization. Culture matters for everyone, for everybody. And by the way, it's not just, especially in the tools that we deploy, it's not just for leaders. You know, we normally say, Let, let's just think what the leaders do. No, culture is for everybody. Culture starts at ground level. You know, it, it literally is a bottom-up <laughs> culture gets enacted by everybody. So everybody matters. And you can't just measure at a certain layer and say, well, it's all lovely here. We won't even bother thinking about anything else. That's not how it works with culture. This really is a uh, understanding organization as a whole. Honey, I could talk about this for hours with you because I just find it fascinating, all the information you can draw out of it. And I know Aaron could as well. But we need to bring things to a close, I think. I'm getting key messages from you that everyone has the data. It doesn't matter about the size of your organization. Equally, it's not about looking back. It's about looking at going forward, you're going. Yes. And how you integrate this into all you do and measure where you are and where you're going. Have you got any other key messages for our profession about the work you're doing and how it could be? I mean, luckily, and again, sitting on the side of fence that I am, working with a lot of organisations, uh, organizations around the world, anything, as I said, from energy, nuclear to automotive, uh, you know, aerospace, financial services. There is one thing that is common that we keep forgetting about all these industries. Uh, measuring behavior or behavior diagnostic, culture diagnostic, culture analytics is not industry centric. It, it is for all industries. And guess what? If, if, you, if you don't get to know it, then you will never understand what drives performance and what manages risk. And when I talk about risk, yeah, obviously in financial services, financial risk, but think about energy industries or, or even working, I work now with nuclear industries, where, where risk could be a big issue there. I mean, it, it really is. So don't undermine the role of culture. If you can't measure it, you can't fix it, you can't maintain it, you don't know what's great about your organization. You can't even preserve and drive your brand. So key message there, HR uh, community, this has got to be number one on the agenda. It just cannot be uh, 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 anymore kind of uh, an afterthought about, yeah, we've got a right culture. It feels right. It feels wrong. You've got to be a lot more detailed from that. And I, and I think if nothing else, um, clearly number one rule I mean, is for everybody in the organization, but truly for HR, it really is about delivering. It, it has got to, because it, it, it's dealing with human resources. It, it, I just can't can't tell you how important and significant that message is, which, which sadly, and that's how we got into trouble. It's number 20 or 30 on the agenda. We, we think it is number one, but when you say, how do you measure it? What do you do with it? Whatever. And you know, if you draw blank, 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 blank. So that's not number one on the agenda. Yeah. Thank you, Hanny. And, and, you know, for anybody that wants an insight, contact Hanny and he will be able to show you because I've seen it. For examples of how other data can be extrapolated to tell you exactly where the source of your problem is, but not just what the problem is, what you need to do about it. Absolutely. And it's fascinating. 
Thank you, Hanny. Aaron, you. any questions from you? Because I've I've hogged the question. Sorry. I've loved this conversation, Hanny. It's fantastic. Thank you so very much for, for joining us for this podcast. I am sure we will bring you back as another guest future dates as we go into more of the series. Uh, so much more we can talk about. I would love to have you back and talk about what you're seeing around the impacts of COVID on culture and how that has changed organizations' perspective and focus on this. I think it can only move it in the in the right way. Uh, as Jeanette says, I think we're getting to the top of our time. So we'll draw this to a close. Thank you again, Hanny. Really appreciate it. And uh, the uh, podcast is available for all of our listeners on the usual channels, uh, Spotify, TuneIn, etc. Look up HR Defensive on the podcast or look up the Spotlight series uh, by the Guild of HR Professionals. Um, and you can see these podcasts and many others uh, and join us for those. 